New York City has a lot at stake in 2020. The census is coming, and if residents aren't properly counted, the Big Apple stands to lose federal funding and electoral representation. So what are government, community, and civic leaders doing to ensure a full and accurate count? Hi, I'm George Borarki. In today's episode of Cityscape, we'll be talking with two people on the front lines in the quest for a complete count. Our first guest is Katie Leonberger. She's the president and CEO of Community Resource Exchange. CRE is working to help nonprofit and community-based organizations with their 2020 census education and outreach efforts. Katie, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So first things first, tell us about Community Resource Exchange. Absolutely. So CRE, as we call Community Resource Exchange for short, is a nonprofit consulting firm based here in New York City. We ourselves are a nonprofit, and our mission is to support and strengthen other nonprofits so that they're more effective in achieving their missions. How did you get involved with CRE? I joined CRE over five years ago. I have a background in both the social sector as well as the consulting world, and so those two things collided. I left my personal values to come to CRE and do this type of work with groups that we I deeply care about. Now, we should say you're kind of a big deal because in 2016, you were named one of New York nonprofit media's 40 under 40 <laughs> rising stars. Yes, if that makes me a big deal, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Quite an honor, huh? It was. No, I, I was thrilled to make that list. Um, and, and it was full of a bunch of other fantastic leaders, you know, who are already doing amazing work here in the city. Um, and, you know, every year City and State does these great lists of folks who are really contributing to improving our communities. So just in general, what would you say are the biggest challenges facing New York's nonprofits? Well, there are a lot. Um, one is the kind of the chronic and, and forever persistent question of funding, sustainable funding, and the way that the social sector funding is set up that for many nonprofits, they're not allowed to spend money the way that they would like to freely if you're running a company. So we have a challenge of what's called restricted funding and also government funding not paying enough for every you know dollar of work that a nonprofit does. Um, another big challenge for nonprofits is really making sure that the groups that they are there to serve, the communities are there to serve, um, are getting the resources and representation that they most need, which does relate to the census that I know we'll talk about later. Yeah, what is at stake with the 2020 census? So the 2020 census is huge, right? It is it is the country's efforts to count every single person living in the United States and what that also then trickles down to every person living in New York State and also, of course, here in New York City. Um, and the reason that that matters is that the data that's collected at this you know, once every 10-year event is used to inform so many important things that affect every person's day-to-day life. So, for example, number one, political representation. New York State right now stands to lose two congressional seats if we don't actually fully count everybody here because representation in Washington is based on our population here at home. And number two is really funding and federal funding to be specific. There's about $650 billion that are um, annually that go out to cities and states across the country from from Washington. And again, that's based on population. So the fewer heads that we count here, the less we are going to get in the in those funds. And what's important to know too about the census is that it's not just that, okay, number of people, but it's who are those people, right? Where do they live? You know, what are their backgrounds? What, what do they need? What are they doing for work, et cetera? Because that will then help inform where those federal funds go and what they're spent on. How much of New York City returned to the 2010 census? So in 2010, I believe our response rate was about 62%. And that is responses where individuals fill out the forms on their own. Um, and then that compares to the national average of what I think was 76%. So so not great. Um, and what, what, I, what we hope to do at CRE by working with other nonprofits and partnering with the city and with the state is, is try and figure out how do we increase that self-response rate so that we get more 
more individuals, more families, more households responding to the census themselves, which means then giving accurate information. Because if, if you don't do what's called self-response, um, you know, the census is going to kick off in March. And then if by in May, you actually haven't filled out the forms for your household, uh, the Census Bureau starts to send out what they call enumerators. And those folks will go door knocking. And if you don't answer the door to fill out the census form with them live, they'll actually just use algorithms and old historic data to try to predict who lives in your household. And given that we know how fast um, different neighborhoods and communities change across New York City, it's not very reliable to use that old data and old algorithms to predict who lives in somewhere today. Can one actually be penalized for not filling out the census form? You, everyone is supposed to fill out the census form. I don't actually know if there's like a formal, you know, fine if you don't fill it out. Um, but by law, you are supposed to fill it out. So what is CRE's role specifically in making sure that there is an accurate count here in New York City? So CRE, because we are a consulting firm that does a lot of training and, um, you know, one-to-one consulting work with other nonprofits, our role is to actually help other nonprofits um, think through how to raise awareness about the importance of the census and then actually do outreach to the communities they serve um, as part of their day-to-day operations over the course of the next year. So we don't pretend to be the census experts, but what we are really good at is helping organizations think through, okay, what are the messages I need to share with the communities I serve around what the census is and why it matters um, and why they should fill it out. And so then kind of that piece of outreach and engagement is around what are different um, activities and strategies that, that different nonprofits can use, depending upon who they serve to help motivate the folks that they serve to complete the census forms. And what is among those strategies? So that can look all sorts of different ways, right? It could be that if you are a direct service agency, which means you might deliver after-school programs or you know senior services at a particular site, let's say a senior center somewhere in the city, um, you might start by just making sure that you have particular flyers in the right language with the right um, message to the folks that are walking through your doors every day to just general education on like what is the census and why does it matter. A next thing that you might do is actually have a commitment card where you might ask folks who come into one of your programs, um, and they're not there to talk about the census. They're there because they want to do whatever program you're offering. Um, But you could ask them to fill out a card that says, you know, I commit to filling out the census. Here is my address. And you'll send me this card to remind me of why I'm committed to send this out when it becomes becomes self-response time in the spring. And then, you know, you can get more creative as well. There are some organizations, for example, that work with youth. And we know, as as a side note, that it's children under five who are the most undercounted demographic um, by the census every 10 years. And so one of the things that you can do is actually get kids excited about the census and then have them go home and talk to their parents. And it's obviously the parents who need to fill it out. And so some um, programs that might work with youth, and they can be young kids or they can be older kids, could actually have them draw a picture or write a story about why the census matters. And they go home and can share it with their parents along with a flyer about the census. And that, again, helps both push both the education and the engagement. What are you hearing from organizations in terms of the challenges that they're facing, the things that they're concerned about? It's a a great question because, sadly, there's a couple of um, really big things that that organizations are concerned about, and that's because people are concerned about them. Um, First and foremost, this is the first ever digital census in the United States. And what I mean by that is it's the first time that um, the Census Bureau is trying to get folks to respond online, in addition to over the phone. 
other rather than just filling out the paper form that I think we're all used to thinking about when we think of the census. And so actually, when the census kicks off in March, um, folks, most folks are not going to get a written form. They're going to get a postcard that says, go to this website and fill out the census or call this number. And you'll get a couple of those postcards. And if later in the spring you still have not filled out the census through those two means, then you'll get a paper form um, in April to fill out on your own. So that's a big deal because, number one, a lot of households still don't have Internet at home. There is a digital divide in this city. Absolutely, right? And I think we don't think about that all the time, but but it is very real and exists. And two, even if you've got access, maybe you don't trust that your information that you submit will be secure, and maybe you're not sure you're going to the right URL, right? There's all sorts of things around data security that um, people have really real concerns about. Now, the good news is, particularly in the city, um, the city government is partnering with the libraries here in the city to make sure that all the libraries are informed and know how to help folks go in and fill out the census online. Um, And then there also are going to be different neighborhood organizing committees um, and nonprofits around the city who are also trained in some of the digital um, potential issues. And so I think there's a really big push to help folks get over that hurdle. But but that's, that's one big barrier. Um, a second barrier is really um, idea around like fear and misinformation related to the census, driven in large part um, by the potential inclusion of that citizenship question that we had heard about for much of last year. And then finally in June, it was ruled that that question could not be included on the census, which is great news. But what it did was it drove a ton of fear through immigrant communities. And there's a lot of communities where they're still not entirely convinced that that question, number one, won't be on there, or even if, it, even if it's not, which it will not be on there, um, they're very skeptical now of what is the government looking for and asking me to fill out information about my family, given that they know the threat of that question was on there. And so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to work with and and talk to these various communities who are understandably um, feeling threatened by that potential inclusion of that question. Um, number one, making them understand, okay, it's not on there. And two, here's how we can help you understand that your data will be kept confidential. No personal information goes anywhere. It's all aggregated up, etc. I would imagine and that has to involve a lot of boots on the ground, outreach, direct one-on-one communication, talking to people. Absolutely, right? I mean, that's one of the, the most um, trusted ways to to help people understand and then hopefully be influenced to change their minds, in this case, to fill out the census. And that's one of the reasons, actually, that we are working so hard with nonprofits to do this work, because based on at least a Quinnipiac poll from earlier this year, we know that nonprofits are one of the most trusted institutions by New Yorkers in their neighborhoods, and particularly some communities where there might not be a lot of other supports. It's those community-based organizations and the leaders of those organizations many times who really are trusted as advisors for how you think about whether or not you should fill out the census. And so that's one of the reasons that we're working with nonprofits to help them have the information they need to, to answer questions. So that being said, are immigrant communities here in New York City the most at risk of being undercounted, would you say? Immigrant communities are absolutely um, one one set of communities that, that we as a nonprofit community are worried about because we know, one, historically they've been undercounted, and two, now this potential citizenship question, which I repeat, will not be on there, um, you know, ha- has raised a lot of fears. The other um, really big group of folks who typically is undercounted are um, communities of color. Um, and so so there's, you know, every year it might shift based on demographics, but, you know, you can look at historic maps of hard-to-count communities, and, and that's what a lot of nonprofits and community-based organizations are doing to figure out who those might be and how you can best reach them. And then, of course, as I mentioned, children under five is kind of like cut across all demographic groups, but that age range we know tends to be undercounted for whatever reason. And so thinking about how do you reach reach those families too. What do we know about the reasons why? Why have communities of color been underrepresented in the count? 
you know, I, I don't know all the reasons, right? So I don't want to pretend to be able to answer that 100 with, you know, 100% accuracy. But but what some of the um, anecdotes suggest is that for many of those communities, there's a real fear of why, right? You, you're looking to count again and ask very particular questions around those communities. And in some instances, there's not great relationships between um, formal institutions and, and, and those communities. And so I think it comes from a very real set of experiences for those communities. And many times also those folks, you know, might not want to answer the door if someone's coming to knock on their door and nor talk to someone about their neighbor, right? And so they just won't answer the door. And then what happens is those algorithms kick into, into gear. And those algorithms we know tend not to be accurate, particularly in New York City when you've got um, multiple tenant dwellings and things like that. Would you compare this to voting? You have to have your voice counted. Think about the importance here. Absolutely. I, I mean, from from CRE's perspective, because this has to do with political representation and funding and making sure that not only the government, but everybody else in this country who makes decisions based upon who lives in this country, in the city, in the state, it's really important to make sure that you're counted. And, and the reason I say that is because even companies, right, how they decide to market and what languages and what ages they're focused on depends on census data. So there's all sorts of things that, that I know, you know, kind of corollary effects of this that we don't often think about that that makes it all the more important that, that everybody gets counted. Would you say that more attention is being focused on the 2020 census than previous census? You know, it's so hard to know because it's a little bit like there's different forces at work in 2020 than there were in 2010, right? And so I think in, in 2010, in my personal view, right, um, maybe folks felt less it was always important to get everybody to count, but you weren't also, you know, fighting a bunch of misinformation coming at you in the other direction that was also making it people more likely to fear being counted in the first place. I would say, I think from the nonprofit perspective, we've always felt that it's critical that um, all New Yorkers are counted and particularly in hard to count communities. And then that work has always been requiring a real effort. That's still the same now, but there's like additional challenges brought on in 2020 because of the digital census, because of the misinformation around the citizenship question, and because the other thing I didn't mention earlier is the census is starting late this year. Like it will officially start on the same day as always, but all the prep work coming out of you know even even the Census Bureau in Washington got pushed back because they had to start some of the work late because they didn't know if that citizenship question was going to be included on the form. So it's like we're a little bit behind the eight ball, and the agency's been underfunded for a while. So. All those things come together, I think, that require even more focus this time around than maybe in years past. Should there be more pushback against a digital census? Should there be a lawsuit to fight the fact that it's digital first? You know, it's a great question. Um, I think that remains to be seen, and I guess because I'm a pragmatist, right? Like, um, we do so much online now. Uh, at some point, this was inevitably probably going to go online, and so there's going to have to be a year while you try it. For me, it's really around... Had the right safeguards been put into place, I believe they have based on everything that we've seen and what the Census Bureau is doing. Um, and again, local efforts like the local libraries here really stepping in to partner in this. I think it will go as expected, right? But what we don't know is will people choose to use the online form or will they wait for the paper forms or will they call up the phone number instead? How can people learn more about CRE and what you do? So they could go to our website, www.crenyc.org. And on our website, we actually have a page that you can navigate to from the landing page that talks about everything we're doing related to the census. And we'll be showing when our next trainings are coming up that nonprofits can attend. I would just encourage everyone in the city and the state who's listening to make sure that they get their households to fill out the forms and get their neighbors to as well. Katie, thanks so much. Thanks.
Katie Leonberger is the president and CEO of Community Resource Exchange. As Katie mentioned, this is the first time the U.S. Census will be heavily digital, and that's raising a fair amount of concern. Enter Aldrin Bonilla. He's Manhattan's deputy borough president and very much involved with making sure there's an accurate count of Manhattanites in the 2020 census. He's also working hard to protect people from census-related scams. Aldrin, thanks so much for hopping on a call with me. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. So what is your role in helping to make sure there's an accurate 2020 census count in Manhattan? Well, my, my current role, uh, I'm deputy borough president of Manhattan, and Manhattan has a complete count committee called Manhattan Counts, and I uh, head up that committee uh, that's comprised of 75 different organizations, uh, nonprofits, faith-based organizations, grassroots organizations, labor organizations, to make sure that we coordinate efforts to get the messaging out uh, that the uh, Census 2020 is upcoming and that everyone should be aware of the importance of, of filling out the census and being counted and what it means for our city in terms of funding, in terms of representation, and in terms of uh, uh, just being president and accounted for uh, in 2020 census. A lot uh, is at stake, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. So the general script is, you know, in terms of nationally, you're looking at around $700 billion that are allocated to states based on a variety of different uh, uh, data points that are uh, called from the census. And then in terms of our representation in the U.S. House of Representatives and in terms of our reapportionment or redistricting at the local level is all based on uh, census uh, enumeration, decennial census numbers. So it's incredibly important. So how are you working there in Manhattan to get the word out? What's your outreach involved? It's multi-pronged. I mean, we've done everything from uh, tabling at events, parades, doing special uh, messaging in, in our different uh, voicemail. Uh, we've done things in terms of our print, social media. We've done uh, various collaborations in terms of town halls and panel discussions. Uh, just tonight, I have a, a presentation at the New York Public Library at County Cullen in, uh, in Harlem. Uh, they're one of our partners, the New York Public Library, and uh, in public housing. Uh, so just really trying to get the word out everywhere that people congregate, everywhere where people uh, get their trusted uh, uh, news sources. Um, we have a partnership with the uh, Interfaith Center, where they create different uh, sermon notes for houses of worship to, to try to integrate uh, census messaging uh, into various houses of worship in terms of their sermons. So it's a multi-pronged approach. It's all hands on deck. It's the largest uh, mass mobilization that the United States ever does, short of war. So this is the largest civilian mobilization that we do decennially, and uh, the consequences of which we live for for the next 10 years. Are there specific neighborhoods in Manhattan that you are doing more outreach in than others? Yes. Uh, so the census generates these hard-to-count or hard-to-reach uh, census tracts. I had the, the, the benefit of having directed the census in 2000 in Washington Heights Inwood, and we were the number one neighborhood in all New York City in our mail response rates. So I know how to really uh, get mail response rates up. In terms of Manhattan, uh, neighborhoods that have traditionally been undercounted, if you look at 2000-2010 results, are uh, pockets of East Harlem and Central Harlem, pockets of the Lower East Side, some areas in uh, our commercial districts around Times Square, 
Manhattan West, and then also some pockets in the financial district in Tribeca and Battery Park City. So what makes it so difficult to get an accurate count in those areas? Um, It's a variety of of reasons, but I think in some of the East uh, Harlem, Central Harlem, maybe Lower East Side one, the male response rates are lower there because I think to a certain extent uh, uh, we do a less uh, good job in terms of uh, reaching residents of public housing. Right, getting the messaging out there that how you respond to the census has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, that information is not shared with the landlord, it's not shared with any kind of other entity, it's completely confidential, it's completely anonymized. So we have pockets of highly dense populations of public housing in those areas. That might have a little something to do with it. Always uh, immigrant communities, Spanish language communities, uh, Chinese language communities, when you look at the lower Besides, you know, better job reaching communities to speak, you know, predominantly other than English. Um, interestingly, for the uh, commercial corridor in, in, in uh, midtown Manhattan and in Battery Park City and Fidei, communities that you normally would not look at in terms of having lower response rates. But there, the, the interesting challenges might be that these, uh, in terms of the male response rates, it might be that 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 that, that family simply just may not be there to, re- to to mail the form back in or at this time to just fill it out in terms of the internet. But in the past, in terms of the actual enumeration, uh, buildings that have these gatekeepers or that are really guarded or have doormen, uh, sometimes they may get prohibited for enumerators to go up and, you know, what's looked upon by some interfering with the residents or, or knocking on doors. So in some instances, the work with the building and with the, with the gatekeepers and the doormen and different individuals to let them know that enumerators going up into different apartments to enumerate and, and fulfill their obligations as, a, as census enumerators is something that they have to allow access to in terms of buildings. So, so those are some of the challenges. In terms of... Um, you know, the historically undercounted, for some reason, uh, households leave out children under five. Hmm. My, my messaging there is always, you wouldn't leave your child out of the, your income tax form, would you? Why would you leave them out of the census? It's potentially even more dollars for the community. Uh, also, uh, the undercounted, uh, you have situations, and in New York City and Manhattan in particular, Households are, are, are completely complex in certain ways or nuanced. You know, the census doesn't care if it's familial or non-familial ties, right? So when you get a form, if you have someone who's a roommate or you have someone who's a boarder or you're sharing your apartment, you know, you have to count everyone within that unit, within that household. Family I guess that's another misconception among people, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's doesn't you know they want a, a complete count of everyone where they are at the time counted once, you know, and, and only once where they're at. So, so that's an issue. Um, uh, uh, in terms of seniors, sometimes uh, seniors uh, are undercounted as well. Some of that might be social isolation. Some of that might be linguistic isolation or language isolation. In terms of, uh, they may not be predominantly English speakers, and then um, some of it might just be apprehension or, or fear or concerns of providing any kind of information to the government. You know, there's pockets of communities, and in our current national climate, uh, more so than, than, than I believe previous decennial censuses, uh, there's a greater degree of mistrust of fear, uh, uh, of apprehension, and of just maybe, you know, not, not, not uh, being as visible as the very 
you know, project of the census demands that our country be. Yeah, that being said, even though the census will not include a citizenship question, there is still a lot of fear out there among immigrant populations. What are you doing to reassure them? Yeah, there. You know, the, the number one thing is, you know, the citizenship question was like front page, top of the morning for a good, you know, four, five, six months. It's repeal has not gotten the same coverage, has not penetrated in these communities in the same way. So you would be surprised how many people still do not realize that the citizen question is not at play. It's not on the form, right? So number one is to get that information out. Number two is to really reinforce uh, 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 how, how the census is confidential. Uh, information is not shared at all with any of the other uh, agencies and when census information is shared, is Adam is is anonymous and it, 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 it's um it's aggregated. So no individual uh, uh, households or building or even your block for that matter, information will be divulged or, or, or distributed. So so they should be confident of that. And the stakes of not being counted, particularly for immigrant communities that may need uh, 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 services around school lunches and Medicaid, Medicare, or, or around uh, federal funding for a variety of different after-school programs or different programs, you know, the, the stakes are higher. Now, this is the first ever digital first census. Does that concern you at all? Uh, very much so. Very How so? Much so? How so? Uh, um, uh, well, number one, even with the fangs, right, with fang, with Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, right, even with the biggest tech companies that do this for a living, there's cases where they're hacked or where they have issues, and they, and they do this for a living, right? And this is the first time the federal government is going to, you know, uh, uh, conduct the census online. I'm still not sure whether all of the due diligence and all the kind of testing and all the kind of encryption and all the kind of data security protocols and scenarios have been worked through completely, you know, to, to safeguard the census in that way. That's, that's number one. And, 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 and I'm sure they have in many respects. But as I said, even with your experiences with companies that do this for a living, there's problems regarding that, right? Uh, secondly, uh, data literacy and internet connectivity is not the same throughout all communities. So there's still communities that don't have, you know, internet connections in their household, albeit they will at the public library, right? They will at their school. They will at certain different hubs. But not everybody has. And in terms of digital literacy, it doesn't play out the same across all demographics. So some seniors may not be as digitally literate uh, and comfortable, um, depending who in the household gets the initial invitation to submit the form online. Uh, they may or may not understand that you have to log online to do that. And then uh, thirdly, I think it opens up a brave new world of fraud and possible phishing and, and, and fake websites and things of that sort that, that will, that, whose aim is to trick people out of certain information. I understand that you've purchased several of the most popular census-related URLs. Correct. I have some of the most high-security-value uh, domain names related to uh, census. Uh, Things like census2020nyc.com uh, and nyccensus2020.com. Explain to us why you have purchased these. 
Yes. About a year and a half ago, usually the census is tested like in eight different locations, right? A Native American reservation uh, of Puerto Rico, an island, a rural area, a heavily densely populated metropolitan area. You know, so this year the census was only tested in one area that was supposed to be representative of the whole United States in terms of operationally how the census would work, and that was in Providence, Rhode Island. And we took a delegation there from New York, uh, Hamburg, President Gail Brewer, myself, Councilwoman uh, Carlina Rivera, and others took a delegation to Providence. Seeing how folks were being asked to go on the website and on the URL and logged in, I realized that we just had come off of the midterm elections, and there was all this discussion about Russian hacking and, 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 and voter suppression and fake news and, and website uh, uh, ghosting. And I said, oh my God, you know, everybody's focused on midterm elections in terms of the possibilities of. Uh, hacking and things, but the real, the real big, you know, uh, prize for anyone trying to do damage to our democracy is the census 2020. So then I thought, you know, th- these high-value URLs could not possibly be available to regular civilians to be purchased. And when, the minute I got back, I started doing different permeations of, uh, you know, adesensos.com in Spanish, contar, which is a, the huge, for decades and decades, that's been the moniker of in the Spanish-language community, adesensosnyc.com. And, all, and, and, and lo and behold, they were available. And so I started purchasing them over a year and a half ago. And then I knew that I was onto something when I started getting contacted by different domain brokers. You know, domain names, URLs, I would purchase for $17. I was being offered $2,000 for huh. So then I realized something's, you know, something's, something's on here in terms of, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, in the new year, as of January, we'll have less than three, four months to rally all the troops, get everybody ready and aware that they should be receiving instructions in their mailboxes in March. And then make sure that we have the kind of uh, uh, assistance centers and technology hubs uh, with the right personnel, with authorized personnel to help folks fill them out if they need help. And, and uh, you know, the message is fill it, fill it out, be counted. And if you don't want enumerators knocking on your door, the best way to do it is to fill it out. There will be uh, opportunity to do it on the phone and on paper, although that's a little bit, you know, discouraged someone. It's really just getting it done online. And the kind of numbers that we need for the next 10 years in terms of funding and representation. Aldrin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Manhattan's Deputy Borough President, Aldrin Bonilla, is heading up the Borough's Complete Count Committee. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening. 